This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Change, Redefining Success, the podcast designed to inspire you and give you actionable information to enhance, up-level, reimagine, and reinvent your life and your livelihood. No matter where you started, where you are now, or where you've been, you too can lead an authentic, first-class life. Each week, new stories of turning points and transformation will help you define what success means to you so you can live your best life on your terms. Now here's your host, first-class life mentor and certified Profiting From Your Passions coach, Kate Fessler. Welcome to Change, Redefining Success, soon to be renamed First Class Life, Redefining Success. I'm your host, Kate Fessler, and this week my guest is Karen Koenig. Karen has over 30 years' experience in male-dominated fields. She spent 26 years in the military, six years in aerospace, and then changed careers entirely and went into financial services in 2015. In the military, Karen rose to the rank of major, and she figured out quickly that you can't command people, but learned you can only advise and guide. She then took that experience into the aerospace industry, and not only did she advise and guide, Karen learned it was not about perfection, but getting the job done well. Not wanting to continue in corporate America, Karen then opened a financial services business. There she has learned, along with her other experiences, that success doesn't mean self-sacrifice and to stand in her power and behind what she believes in. All these experiences, military, aerospace, and financial services, have inspired Karen to write a book, aptly entitled Woman on Top, How to Win in a Woman's Way, so women can know they don't have to take a step back but can step forward in their success. Welcome, Karen. Hi, how are you doing? Let's start way back in the beginning. When you were a kid, did you have a sense of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Um, yeah, the very first thing that I wanted to be was an astronaut. And then, <laughs> believe it or not, um, it kind of turned into my want to be in the military. And the reason why I was kind of influenced to be into the military is because both my parents were in the military. Mm. Um, my mother was a commissioned officer. She was a nurse and my dad was an EMT. And, um, back in the day, um, enlisted and, and officers weren't allowed to be married. So one or the other had to get out. And of course it was the female. Oh, of course. Yes. And back in the day, also, uh, women weren't allowed uh, to be pregnant in the military. So then when she got pregnant, then she really had to get out. So um, I just had that influence, always wanted to serve my country, and just thought that that would be the direction that I wanted to go. And it was always just a burning um, thing that I wanted to do. So did you go to a military academy? Did you join right out of school? How did that work? So I had actually applied for the military academy, but it's really hard to get in. And you pretty much have to have, you know, like a 4.0, you have to have congressional um, AOK and backing. And um, they just had so many applicants that year, I didn't make it. So what I did is I did it the traditional way. I went to a recruiter, um, signed up. I was actually going to go active duty. And what I ended up doing was joining the Air National Guard. And you kind of get the best of both worlds in being in the National Guard where you can serve the military, but then you can also have a career. 
Hmm. So tell me about that experience. What was that like? It was over 20 years ago. Especially as a woman, you mentioned some of the things, you know, women weren't allowed to do in the military. What was it like to come into an organization which did not have a reputation for being very welcoming to women? So I joined in 1987, so you can imagine. Um, men really didn't care for women in the military at the time. So, um, and then the fact that I was a smart woman on top of that, and I basically aced what's called the ASVAB, and that's the test that you have to take to get into the military. And I got the choice of whatever um, area I wanted to go into, and I chose to go into electronic mechanic. And <laughs> I remember the day that I was out processing from the base and the first sergeant sat me down and he said to me, Karen, are you sure you want to be an electronic mechanic? Because we have an administration position available in the orderly room. Are you sure you don't want to do that? <laughs> so that was the start of my military career. And again, I was the only female in an all-male shop. And I worked out on the flight line. So um, there was a double standard, obviously. And I would literally be asked to do things by myself while the men would stand there with their arms crossed just to see if I could do it um, because they wanted me to prove that I could do the same thing that a man can do, which mm -hmm. I did. But regulation stated that those were really two-man jobs. So, you know, it was, again, one of those things where I had to prove myself. Hmm. What is that uh, old saying that a woman has to, has to be as good as a man, but she has to do it three times better and in high heels or something? Yes, that's exactly <laughs> it. That's exactly the way it was. And it really, um, and there was a lot of, I would say not sexual harassment, but there was, I would double standard harassment, um, you know, verbal harassment, you know, just the fact that if I needed assistance with something, they would just tell me to figure it out where with their buddies, they were, you know, they were buddies. So mm -hmm. I was always kind of like the odd person out because, um, and they always, you know, had this thing, Oh, you'll quit and you'll go get married. And so you might as well not spend a lot of time learning these things. So it was kind of that attitude. <laughs> Mm. That sounds like you must have been really lonely. Like, did you feel like quitting sometimes? You know, I'm not that kind of personality. So those kind of situations and issues just kind of fuel my fire. So I do try to prove that I can be, you know, just as good as anybody else, man or woman, just because I have that competitive drive. So I just figured out, you know, pretty quickly how to maneuver in that atmosphere without, you know, allowing it to go, you know, too far. So over time, as you rose in the ranks and as things changed within the military as well as in society at large and how women were, you know, viewed and, and treated, how, how did that change for you? Well, I think the biggest change happened, um, I don't know if people remember, it was the tailhook scandal with the Navy. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, and that was basically when it started to change in the military where the sexual harassment and the officers having affairs with, 
you know, young female enlisted girls and that kind of stuff, they really started scrutinizing that. And then we actually started having sexual harassment training and, you know, different ways to bring forward those kind of incidences. And uh, it was presented as you could either do it anonymously or you could do it where you wanted to have it investigated and then have a resolution. So it gave you the ability to take care of it without any type of retribution. Mm. Were you ever involved in anything like that? Did you ever report somebody or have somebody reported to you? Well, I actually reported, it, it wasn't necessarily sexual harassment, but a a uh, male colleague of me of mine in that shop, he, um, we were in a, a morning meeting and he proceeded to say, I said something and he said, oh, you just need to be quiet. And he hit me on the top of the head with a book. And <laughs> I, <laughs> I pulled my boss aside and he was a very non-confrontational type of boss. And I said, look, he just harassed me and basically told me to be quiet. And the undertones were because I need to shut up and color because I'm a woman. And I said, you need to do something about this. So his solution to that was to sit us both down in a room and have that gentleman apologize to me. And what he ended up doing was he apologized, but then he followed up by saying, yeah, I guess I treated you that way because you reminded me of my wife. Which doesn't really make it any better, does it? No. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? You you just negated your apology. And I said, I'm done with this conversation. And I got up and left. Not only that, but stop hitting your wife on the head with a book. Well, yeah. Or stop treating (laughs) your wife, you know, where she's a second class citizen. It's like, jeez. So 26 years. So you must, you must be a, you are one tough woman. 26 years, you rose in the ranks, you retired as a major, is that right? Yes, that's correct. So 26 years, that's just sort of like most military, 25 and out. So you were just, was there a specific incident that made you decide it was time to go, or was it just time to go? Well, they kind of decided for me. So every year over 20 years, you go up in front of a retention board, and then you're allowed to extend two years. So I was at the mark where they were going to extend me for another two years. And uh, about probably six weeks after they decided to extend me, I got a phone call from the base commander saying, yeah, no, we changed our mind. We're just going to non-retain you and you need to retire by the end of the year. And that was in 2013. And again, I kind of took it kind of, you know, badly because it's like, once again, a male is deciding what's going to happen with me and they have no conversation with me. I had actually wanted to get promoted to Lieutenant Colonel and I didn't want to retire until then. Mm -hmm. And they went ahead and non-retained me and, and, you know, they'd already processed the paperwork and I had a conversation with the vice wing commander and I said, look, you didn't even ask me what my goals were on the military side of the house. I said, I actually wanted to get promoted one more rank. That was my goal in, in life for this career. And he said, Oh, well, I guess it's because you said that you were rising up in the ranks in the aerospace business that you were working in that we figured you didn't want to keep flying back and forth to Nebraska. And I said, well, that's nice of you to ask me about what I want to do. Hmm. And I'm guessing that that's not how they treat most officers uh, mm-hmm. and how they determine their career path. 
No, and especially if, you know, they're, they're there in a full-time capacity. So the officers that are there that are part of running the base on the day-to-day operation, they really are the ones that get the promotions. They're the ones that get furthered because being in the military is a condition of having the civil service employment. So they, they tend to uh, cater to them. Hmm. So you said, okay, well, I guess there's nothing else I could do about this. I I mean, is there anything you could have done about it? Like, could you appeal the decision, like really fight it if you wanted to? Yeah, and I thought about fighting it. And then I looked at my retirement calculations. And really, if I would have stayed even another two years to get lieutenant colonel, it would have only made about a $50 difference in my retirement pay. So I thought, you know what, I'm just not going to the bulk the system on this one because it's not worth it. Yeah. So then you moved into the aerospace industry. Did you take any time off? Did you say, I'm going to take a sabbatical here and figure out what I want to do? Or did you just move right on with your life and career? Well, so when when you're in the National Guard, like I said, you can have a, a civilian career and you can have a military career, both. So I had actually started working at Boeing in 2009, and I lived in Tucson at the time, and I was flying back and forth to Nebraska to do my military duty um, every month. And then I was doing my active duty time, you know, whenever they had a deployment or if I needed to, um, I was um, actually... Uh, sent overseas and did a deployment um, for Operation um, Iraqi Freedom. So um, so um, that career started, like I said, in 2009, and I worked on the defense side of Boeing, and I worked in Tucson, and my customer, my client, was the Border Patrol. Oh, so um, we, the Boeing people, were uh, worked in an unmarked building because the Border Patrol, well, didn't want us, one Boeing didn't want to advertise the fact that we were in, the, in that area, and the Border Patrol didn't want us to, you know, advertise that they were in working with us. So, mm-hmm. um, and I did have to have a clearance to work for Boeing for that particular program, so it was kind of a good fit because I had a... Um, a secret clearance at the time. And that was the kind of clearance we needed to work with the border patrol. So we worked on what was called the virtual fence. A lot of people have heard of it. A lot of people haven't, but it's the fixed towers that were put in place, uh, Texas, all the way to California, Southern border. And um, it's an optic system that sits on top of those towers and it looks over into, into Mexico and, basically helps with the, the problem of uh, illegals coming across the border. So we were, uh, I had tower climbers that worked for me that climbed those towers and worked on those optic systems. And then there was also a mobile platform that we worked on. Uh, it was the same optic system mounted on a skid, which was put on the back of an F-450 truck. And the premise was that you could drive those trucks in between each of these fixed towers and then you'd have a long line of, of defense um, for, you know, looking in to the border and helping with the border issue. So 
that's kind of how I, it was a good fit for me. It was a good transition um, from the military into doing something that was kind of military like. <laughs> and um, because I still got to use my clearance and um, was still able to do something that I thought was exciting. So did you ever think about joining the border patrol? I did, but they have an age limit. So you have to join the border patrol before you're 35. And at that time I was in my forties. So. Ah, interesting. Age limit. Tough, tough job too. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So you decided at some point, I'm done with corporate America. What made you decide to move on to something new? So what happened was, is I got um, my sponsor at the time in the, the defense division of Boeing said, hey, in order to get into executive management or to kind of go up the career path with Boeing, you need to work on the commercial side of Boeing. So in 2012, I was relocated up to Washington State, and that's how I ended up here. And how I got disenchanted with corporate America was Boeing paid for a master's degree, $80,000 for me to learn about supply chain management. And through working up here, they and me trying to get into the supply division and, you know, tell them, hey, you need to utilize my degree. And um, through a manager that worked that was 15 years younger than me and didn't know how to manage, I just kind of really got fed up with the corporate world because the last manager that I worked for, um, he gave me the lowest rating that I ever got on my performance scores and it affected how much bonus I got for that year because that was the first year that we actually got bonuses and that management did and um, prior to that we had been paid like extra days if the company did, did well and so when he didn't go in and fight for the fact that I was outperforming other managers and put me in on the bell curve is when I decided you know what I think I'd rather work for myself and however hard I work is however much I get paid and what kind of bonuses I get. So that's what kind of led me to get fed up with the corporate America and kind of uh, launch into a completely different career, which I decided to do before I turned 50. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that stupid bell curve. Yeah. You know, <laughs> when I was in corporate America, I remember that and it's really unfair. Because it doesn't matter if your team is firing on all cylinders, you have to pick someone that you put at the bottom um, be just because you have to. And it's just a ridiculous idea. And I don't know, you have an executive MBA, I guess you said, but yes. um, I feel like that's the MBA, you know, number crunching and saying, oh, here's some algorithm that we mm -hmm. should use that has nothing to do with actual human relationships right crazy so you decided to start your own business and you ended up uh, in the financial services industry How, why did you choose that well I was kind of influenced because a gentleman that used to work for me at Boeing he was one of my technicians um, he decided to quit Boeing um, years before me and go into the financial services business and I and then later on he became my financial advisor 
And I called him up one day and I said, hey, I'm thinking about leaving Boeing and I'd like to know about the opportunity. And he sold me on the fact that um, the company that I work for is a very family oriented business. They take care of their employees. They, they don't just walk the walk, but they talk the talk and, or vice versa. And um, they, you know, number one in their, you know, division and they're the, they've gotten awards for the best place to work for. And he said, you'll find that it's nothing like the military because he was in the military as well. Nothing like Boeing, no backstabbing, no how knowledge is power at, in this financial services company, everybody helps everybody because it benefits the company as a whole which is I've never been in a company like that ever before. And it really is like that. So once I researched the company, talked to him about working for them, then really it was, you know, I have the autonomy to run my office the way that I want to, as long as I'm moral, ethical, and legal. And I can advertise, I can market, I can do whatever, as long as it's, you know, following you know, the financial services rules and the different types of, you know, regulations that we have to go by. So I love what I do. I, this is the most fun I've ever had besides being in the military. <laughs> and uh, I like to get up and go to work every day. Awesome. What a concept. I know. <laughs> so you've taken all of this experience and you have written a book called Woman on Top, How to Win in a Woman's Way. Great title, by the way. Thank you. What inspired you to write this book, and who did you have in mind when you wrote it? Like, who did you want to speak to? Well, I wrote the book because I realized once I got into the financial services business that this really is a male-dominated in industry as well. So the, the nationwide, there's only 23% women as financial advisors. And um, at this particular financial services company, there's only 19%. And 10 years ago, it was 17%. So they've only gone up 2% female financial advisors in 10 years. And I, and I see some of the same things that are happening in the financial services, even though this is a great company to work for, it was founded by a man. And... Um, so I just wanted to tell my story about being in three different male-dominated industries and then kind of how to apply the lessons that I've learned to everyday life. And I just want people to understand, you know, and, not, and it can be a female or a male. So I thought I was writing this for the females out there, but I think that there's a lesson in the book to males as well in any field to understand the things that they they do to affect how we are and i just want women to understand that you can be just as successful as a man still be feminine and still have your grace at the end of the day hallelujah sister <laughs> <laughs> so not to give it all away but what is some of the wisdom that people can expect to find in this book? Maybe the top three things you want everyone to know. So 
there's three things, and one of them, I hope it doesn't offend, uh, offend anybody, but it's actually the title of my first chapter is, you don't have to have a penis to succeed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the second one is, you got to get out of your own way. And then the third thing is, is success doesn't mean self-sacrifice. And I'll kind of go back and, and define those a little bit so people understand what I'm talking about. So on the first one, you don't have to have a penis to succeed. It's basically kind of what I said. Don't, you don't need to compromise your femininity to be in a male-dominated world. So what I have saw or seen over the years in corporate America and even in the military is women get into the military and then they lose their identity and they blend in. So you're wearing the same uniform, you're wearing a hat, you're wearing the same boots, everybody looks alike. But I found, you know what, I'm still going to wear makeup and I'm still going to put earrings in and I'm still going to have my nails done. Uh, I, I will be according to regulation, but I'm still going to be a woman in my uniform. And what I still see today is women dress up in their military uniforms and they look masculine. And then same thing when they in the boardroom. So when you walk into like a boardroom in corporate America or even in the financial services, you see the black suit, the jacket and the black pants or the jacket and the black skirt and the white shirt. And again, women are trying to conform to what they think the standard is for those those businesses to to succeed and I never dressed like that when I was in working for Boeing I dressed according to my body style I dressed according to what looks good on me and I wore makeup and I didn't think that I had to you know look like a man <laughs> to be successful and then even today, I still have my own style. I mean, I still see the brand new girls coming in as financial services um, advisors and they're wearing the black suits and the black pants and the black shoes. And there's so much more to being, you know, being a woman and then having that confidence exude from you by being dressed according to your personality and the way you like to look. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is, is I learned how, and this is probably more so from the military was that you have to, you can't command people to do things. You have to work with them and you have to treat them like partners and you have to advise and guide. And once I figured out that all I can do is give advice and guidance to my upper management or to my commander or to, you know, whoever I'm working for, it's up to them to choose whether or not they're going to listen to what I've said. And it has nothing to do with me. I don't need to try to make them, you know, or convince them to do something. It's here's what it is. Here's my advice. This is what I'm guiding you to do. And if you choose to do something different, then I will follow up and make sure that I cover myself so I don't get in trouble. And then the other thing is, is you don't have to, uh, don't change your goals. Um, I see when I worked at Boeing or in the aerospace division, I found that the millennial uh, girls that worked for me or gals, they 
would constantly be changing their goals because they'd start out to do something and then they'd fail and then they'd change their goal and then they'd fail again. And what I found was, is you need to learn to fail quickly because then you learn from it and then you can move on. Because if you keep making the same mistakes, then you're not learning. And I don't think that a failure means that you have to change your goal at all. No, it just means you have to change your approach. Right. And what I see on the male side of the house is men don't change their goals. Men go in, they have a goal, they achieve it. Yeah, they have failures along the way, but, you know, they, they do that. They learn from it and they move on. And I think that's just a good thing to, um, to have people understand because if you continue to do the same things, you're always going to expect the same results, right? So that's the definition of crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And uh, the other thing in the book I talk about is get out of your own way. And that's where I go to networking events now and I, and I hear these things all the time, but it's, you really need to delegate or designate other people to do the things that you're not good at and then focus on the things that you are good at. Because my talent is, I like to build relationships with people and I like to invest their money and I'm a geek about that. And I just, after I get, you know, a client set up, I love to go in and actually place the trades and then watch their money grow. And, but I am not good at the paperwork. I am not good at opening the accounts. I am not good at calling home office and, asking when something doesn't work. So I delegate all that stuff to my assistant. She does all the back end stuff and I do all the people side of it. And that's what I'm good at. And, you know, even with, you know, I'm so busy between writing this book and working that uh, hire a housekeeper. A, I don't like to do laundry. B, I don't like to do any type of housekeeping. So it's worth it to me to delegate those tasks to somebody else. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, the other thing I learned just recently, I was trying to um, put together my, my one sheet for handing out to podcast people and my speaker sheet. And, I, and my coach said, what are you doing, Karen? You, you don't have time for this. So I hired someone to do it. What a concept. <laughs> What a concept. Yes, get out of your own way and let other people do what they excel at, right? So exactly. that you can be free to do what you excel at. Right. And the other thing is a lot of times women have a lot of, a lot of negative self-talk. Mm -hmm. um, we tend to have this little thing in your head that you're always saying, oh, I'm not good enough. Well, and I even went through this when I just recently, so I had a mind block and I couldn't even write my bio to send over to you. And my coach said, what's the issue, Karen? And I said, I don't know. What if people don't like my book? What if they read it and they go, I could have wrote this. Or what if they listen to this podcast and they go, whatever, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so she said, Karen, you have to, understand that you have a story to tell and it's interesting 
and it doesn't matter that it'll either resonate with someone or it doesn't and it doesn't matter if it doesn't resonate with someone um because you're trying to hit who you want to hit and i said oh my gosh i'm doing the negative self-talk again why do i do that kind of stuff so um i kind of talk about it a little bit in the book but what i say to people is you know for example to get out of that mode is for 24 hours, don't complain about anything. And it's really hard to do. You should try it sometime. Because it puts you in a positive, a positive spin where if you can't talk negatively about anything, then you're not gonna think negatively about anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I try to uh, reframe it. So if I have kind of negative thoughts, I try to reframe it as a positive. So, you know, I'm so blessed that I have the opportunity to do whatever or this, even just, you know, the AFGO, right? I'm so blessed that I have this growth opportunity in my life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then kind of the last part of getting out of your own way is don't repeat the past. I see people do this all the time and I've been guilty of it of myself is so if you you know attract the same friends or you attract the same boyfriend or you attract the same type of boss and it tends to be toxic or a negative environment then and it happens more than a couple of times in your life then you really need to go back and reflect on yourself and what you're doing because it probably is something that you're doing that's causing to bring this into your, your, your universe. When I decided to stop surrounding myself with naysayers and people that said, Oh, you can't write a book. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. I stopped having those people be in my circle of influence. And I started surrounding myself with positive people that said, well, why, why wouldn't you write a book? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have a story to tell and you re- it really, it helps go back to deleting that ne- negative self-talk. So it just, it helps you um, when you can recognize that there might be something that you're doing that's causing that to happen. Yes, absolutely. And there's a lesson always, and the lesson will continue to present itself until you learn it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, the other thing is, is you kind of have to, when an opportunity presents yourself, presents itself to you. I recently started actually consciously looking for this, that things will present themselves to you at the right time and at the right moment for when it is right for it to happen in your life. So when I started writing the book is then when my business started growing. And then when I started asked to be you know, speaking at certain engagements and then where, you know, I was asked, you know, to be on podcasts and it's, it it just, it's really cool to see when you're have your minds open to an opportunity that it happens. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the other thing is, is we, we women tend to put a cost on everything instead of putting a benefit. So oh, mm-hmm. we're looking at, you know, like hiring a coach or something and they say, oh, it's going to be $10,000. We go, oh, that's a lot of money. Instead of looking at, well, what's it going to get me? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And, and I tend to do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And I would also add to that, that often we are, um, focused on the bottom line. And even when we say, well, what's it going to get me? It's like, am I going to double my money? Am I going to recoup my money? And yeah. often it's not about that. Often yeah. it's about your personal growth that will put you in a position where you won't have to worry about it anymore. Do you know? Right. And so we don't, it's best not to always bottom line things. Sometimes it is, you're right, about the benefit and the opportunity. And sometimes you just have to go with it if it feels like the right thing to do. Right. And that's, again, where I say be open to the opportunities because the opportunities present themselves and then sometimes we shut stuff down because we're in that mode. So. Yes, we do. Right. And so the, the third thing that I think people can really get out of the book is that um, to be successful doesn't mean that you have to sacrifice other areas of your life. So one of the key things is I say, when you need help, ask for it. And I think women tend not to do that because we get into the mode where we think we have to do everything. Mm-hmm. And, um we tend to put ourselves last and everybody else needs before our own. And I know people have heard this a million times, but kind of my remedy for that is, you know, find out, you know, list A, B, C, D, you know, what are the things that you need help with and then ask and you'll be surprised at what, what can happen with that. So case in point, when I had my hip surgery last, last August, I flew my dad up to take care of me and I didn't think I needed any other help. And I had several people say, Hey, you know, can we bring you meals? Can we, you know, stop by and see you? Do you want to have, you know, company? And at first I said, no, 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 my dad's going to take care of all of that. But then I thought, you know what, this is an opportunity presenting itself to me. My friends want to help me because they, you know, they, they're that type of person and they, and they just want to be nice. And so when I said, yeah, you know, we could use a meal or yeah, I could use instead of buying those crutches, if I could borrow yours and, you know, borrow, you know, the little wedge pad that I put my legs up every day so they didn't get swollen, you know, from somebody, then why not? And So it's basically, it's, you know, put yourself first. We have to change that around in our minds and put ourselves above everybody else. And it's not being selfish. It really isn't. I agree with that 100%. I always say self-care is not selfish and that you have to take care of yourself so that you can take care of other people. Right. And that's kind of one of my other points is learn self-care. And and it's more than just going and getting like a mani-pedi or, you know, getting your hair done. It's about... And again, back to work-life balance, but then I was at a women's conference this week and they talked about being work-life harmony. Yes. Not necessarily balance, but harmony. I agree with that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it may not be balanced. It may be, you know, 75% one way at one point and then it tips the other direction and that's fine. But as long as you're getting enough sleep, you're eating the right foods, you're, you know, working out, you know, taking care of your body. And, but, and then you also are having the family fun time and doing things with, you know, your family or whatever is your, you know, other side of your life. Um, And then what I tend to do is I, I block some of that stuff on my schedule just so I can get it done. 
if I didn't block working out on my schedule, then I wouldn't do it. <laughs> yes, it's easy to have those things fall by the wayside. And you're right, women tend to do that. We'll be like, oh, well, I was going to work out, but okay, I'll help you with this project. Or I was going to go, you know, do something nice for myself, but uh, that's okay. I'll, I'll pick up the kids or whatever from whatever. Right. Um, and we, that tends to be the first thing that comes off the calendar yep. when we're faced with some scheduling challenges. Because it's the easiest to get rid of first. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing that I like to talk about in, you know, not, um, you know, self-sacrifice is you, you have to learn your boundaries. And what I mean by that is figure out your schedule and then stick to it. So I talked about time blocks. So I actually literally time block every single day of the week and it's blocked out into appointments with clients, appointment with prospective clients, calls from vendors. I schedule my lunch because if I don't, then I don't take it. I schedule my workout at the end of the day. And then in between then I've got vendor calls and networking. So, and it's on different days of the week. And I literally have my assistant stick to that because those are my boundaries. And I want my clients to fit inside of my boundaries, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to work 35 hours a week, then do it. If you want to work 60 hours a week, then do it. But if you're going to work less hours, then you have to figure out how to be laser focused during the time that you're in the office and that you're actually working. And then um, I was at a networking event and a, a lady was saying that how she sets her boundaries is, is when she actually is, is scheduling a client and they call up and say, hey, that day doesn't work for me. I can only come in on a Thursday. And prior to setting boundaries, what she would do is, is reschedule them that, that week on that Thursday. But what she does now is she'll say, well, my next available Thursday appointment is three weeks from now. Mm -hmm. But if you would like to have an appointment sooner than that, I'm available on Wednesday at two, which one do you prefer? And then it puts the onus back on the person. Right. So again, it's boundaries, not only in your schedule, but it's boundaries in, you know, your outside life too. So I was um, listening to a, a podcast the other day and they were talking about just saying no and successful people like Warren Buffett, they say no nine out of 10 times because they're waiting for the one yes that's going to change their their life or their path. So that's how Warren Buffett got to be a multimillionaire or a billionaire is because he learned to say no nine out of 10 times. Things that affected his schedule. Yeah, women are not the best. And I know that's a generalization, but women are not the best at saying no. Um, and having the discernment to know when to say yes and when to say no and how to graciously say no and not be bullied out of it is, right. very, is very important. And, and I talk about that, you know, in the book where I say, and you can be gracious about it. You can say, you know, thank you for, you know, thinking of me, but that doesn't work into my, you know, my life or my schedule right now. And it, when it does, or if it does, I'll let you know. Right. <laughs> yes. 
And when you say, I'm sorry, I, I can't, I, I'm, you know, do whatever. And someone says, why not? <laughs> right. <laughs> what else are you doing? Uh, it's really none of, your, none of their business. You just say, I have something else planned. Even right. if what you have planned is to not do this thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, men are really good about that. They can say no, and nobody questions it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that all sounds like wonderful wisdom that you're sharing, and I'm sure that the book is going to be fabulous. We are at that point in the program where I have to ask you, what is one book or resource besides your own that changed your life that you would recommend to others? So the book that I recommend, it's called The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. And what it's about is it's about that moment when an idea, a trend, or a social behavior crosses the threshold and tips over into, you know, a different realm and spreads like wildfire. So um, it, it could be like, you know, when we were in Facebook and memes started, somebody posted the first meme and then it spread like wildfire. Um, you know, it, it can be in anything. In the book, they talk about um, like epidemics where why did, you know, the flu epidemic get so widespread in this particular city? And, or why did, you know, this particular illness or ailment, and they were, they were in the book talking about AIDS, and it's because people started doing risky behaviors and that kind of stuff, and it just tipped over into, you know, some type of epidemic that we had a hard time, you know, dealing with until we found not a cure to it, but, you know, something to help with it. So it could be anything, but I just like the book because there is a tipping point lots of times and lots of different things. I feel like we're seeing a tipping point right now with the Me Too movement and women sort of really stepping up. And I think your book is very timely because of that. Yeah, and there's a tipping point in, I think, society. People are starting to get fed up. And that's why there's so many riots and so many people taking a stand. It's because it's like everybody woke up. It's like everybody is finally realizing, hey, we have rights. We have things that we should be standing for. We should be paying more attention to who we're voting into office and that kind of stuff. And yeah, so there is a huge tipping point, you know, in on the political side as well, I think. <laughs> well, let's hope it has a positive impact. Yes. <laughs> so Karen, what does success mean to you personally? What is your definition of your authentic first class life? My definition is make sure you're growing yourself because it leads to other areas of growth, especially in, you know, business or even in your life. Um, I love to learn. So I am continually finding something new. So I, I have three degrees. So obviously one wasn't enough. So <laughs> once now, after having a degree and two MBAs, I thought, oh, I'll never, I'm never going to go back to school again. But now that I'm in the financial services, I'm thinking, you know what, I think I want to get my certification to um, help divorced women. And I think I want to get another certification for in the financial services. And again, that's going to put me back in school. It's just because I like, I like to learn. 
Mm, I'm with you. Lifetime, lifelong learner, I guess, is the, the moniker they put on us. Yes. <laughs> so if people want to find out more about you and buy your book, how can they do that? They can go to, um, I have a Facebook page. It's my launch uh, Facebook page. It's, um, it's called Karen's Pre-Book uh, Launch. And um, I think you're going to have to insert the thing to that because I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I also, my website's not up yet, but it's I'm waiting for my logo to be designed. And it's uh, www.womenontop.biz, B-I-Z, is my website. And, um, yeah, that's it. Okay, so it's woman on top, right? Woman, woman singular, yes. singular woman, woman on top dot biz. Okay, yeah. woman on top dot biz. Yep. Awesome. Well, the book is called Woman on Top: How to Win in a Woman's Way. Karen Kernick, thanks so much for sharing with us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. This is the EWN Podcast Network. So Karen's book will be on Amazon. There's going to be a pre-launch on October 1st where you should be able to order it for 99 cents. Karen will be online all day on her Facebook page and she'll be doing a Facebook Live to launch the book. So I hope you'll tune in and take advantage of the opportunity to buy that book at a fabulous discounted price, which I'm sure will be the Kindle version, for just 99 cents. I was just commenting the other day to some friends that it's hard to believe that just a few short decades ago, women were just emerging into the marketplace and were breaking through barriers like Karen did in the military. We do have a long way to go, but as we were discussing, I think we may have reached our tipping point. Time will tell. Whatever your politics, I hope you will exercise your right to vote, which don't forget, women did not always have. This week's quote comes from radio host Joan Homburg. Women have skills that we don't even know we have. You've got to learn to reinvent yourself. Write new on the box. Never be complacent. Stay ready to go to the next step. Think the way Americans thought in the early days of our nation. We are entrepreneurs, grasping opportunity, unafraid of rejection. We've got to get into the habit of constantly learning something new. I hope you'll join me next week for another inspiring episode. Until then, cheers to your authentic first-class life. I'm Kate Fessler. Thanks for listening to First Class Life, Redefining Success. is the EWN Podcast Network. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN Podcast hosts at EWNPodcastNetwork.com.